This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Hey, welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Coolman. And Cheryl, we've had a pretty darn interesting show so far. We have. That, that shouldn't surprise you. I know, but, you know, it. it I think... You know, Jeremy surprisingly got me amped up because it was a little doom and gloom. That was Jeremy a Grantham. Doom and gloom. I know. A lot of doom and gloom. Jeremy Grantham, who is a legendary investor, quite successful with the GMO, uh, with, with GMO is, is the investment group. Um, and then we just spoke with Chris Addy, who is a partner at Bridgespan, and, you know, talked about big bets yep, yep. in philanthropy. We were yep. talking about... Um, you know, the some innovations called the impact multiple of money that the TPG Rise Fund uh, has incorporated. And now we're sort of shifting gears, uh, but continuing on the philanthropic uh, side. But, you know, they do I – th- I think Confluence members end up uh, really talking through the suite of tools that right. they have at their yeah. disposal uh, um, – I can't speak now. Their disposal. Their disposal, not disposure. So thank you. Disposal. Um, And so let's get into it with Dana Lanza, CEO and co-founder of Confluence Philanthropy. Welcome to the show, Dana. Thanks for having me. So you are fresh off your conference, which unfortunately I was unable to attend, and you can probably hear I'm still a little sick. Mm. Uh, But let's start, uh, because I do want to dive into some of the topics there, but let's first talk about Confluence and uh, what the heck y'all do. Yeah, thanks. Well, we missed you, first of all. Oh, thank you. Feeling better. Um, so Confluence Philanthropy is um, is a membership network of foundations, um, family offices, and high-net individuals, and uniquely their investment managers. And so what we do is we, we're not a marketplace. We're, uh, we try to be a strategic place for progressive investors to learn how to align their um the management of their portfolio with their values and how to drive change in the world in a way that is positive and also allows them to do do good in the world and continue making money. And so, I mean, I love that. I mean, that's what we're sort of all about <laughs> at the Wharton Social exactly. Impact Initiative. But what is the need in the market that you saw when you co-founded Confluence mm-hmm. that, you know, people were hungry for this type of service and network? Yeah, so um, I was running an, uh, another membership organization in philanthropy called the Environmental Grantmakers Association in 2008 when the economic correction happened. And during that time, on the average, endowments lost somewhere between 20% to 100% of their assets. You know, Bernie Madoff, some mm-hmm. foundations just disappeared overnight, never to be heard from again. And, um, and, you know, these were a lot of smaller foundations, um, but large ones took a big hit. And what we learned during that time was that foundations that were practicing mission-related investing or impact investing it later became called um, had lost just about 20% of their assets. And so this kind of niche, somewhat closeted idea of how you manage your endowment suddenly became very interesting to investment managers and to heads of foundations who were saying, well, you know, wait a minute, what is this all about? Why, why, why did we lose so much money and, and other people are doing better? And it's, and it's obviously just at that point, I think it was more around being attentive to where the dollars were rather than in a lot of cases, you know, the money management had been so completely outsourced that people didn't even know who their managers were. And so, um, with some friends at Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors at the time, um, I was tapped to sort of help. You know, would you would you want to 
start some kind of a new program or initiative or something to help foundations and family offices learn more about um, this mission-related investing practice. And that was that was where Confluence began. Cool. And so your your members are quite diverse. I mean, you've got community, private, public, communi- uh, individual donors, you said Advisors. family officers. So how do you sort of navigate that multi-stakeholder approach in, in you know, helping your clients or your members? Well, it's, it's difficult because, you know, different, <laughs> different clients have, you know, different needs. But, but I think the one thing that all Confluence members share is just this real, I mean, it's a real sincere desire for change. And it's very, very inspiring. It's sort of funny because I often um, I often feel like the members are even ahead of, of myself or sometimes even the board and the things that they want to do. Um, and again, since, you know, we feel like there are a lot of marketplaces out there. I mean, SoCap is a great place to go if you're if you're interested in meeting entrepreneurs or just trying to figure out what's going on in the world of social investing. Um, you know, there's uh, the old SRI and the Rockies conference which is going on, been going on forever lots of other places, but there isn't a safe space for high net investors, private investors to get together and say, well, you know, wait a minute, what is this all about? Why are we doing this? So, um, you know, Confluence is, is a place where we do that. And we, you know, we really try to let the content be driven by members. But because we have a broad swath of members, we're also able to, I think, be in a good position to understand, well, what's really of interest to progressive investors rather than just a single investor. And because we're not trying to sell products, we're just a nonprofit, we don't have any interest other than trying to advance the good and and help build the industry. And just just to give our listeners a little bit of context, um, I think some of the stats, and correct me if I'm wrong, your network has $70 billion in philanthropic assets under management and over $3.5 trillion in managed capital. Yeah, approximately. It's hard to count every penny. (laughs) Right, approximately. (laughs) So, Dana, you're you're just coming off of of the the conference. Is there anything um, that happened this year that was sort of surprisingly different from the the previous years? This year was really exciting. I mean, it's a great, it's a fun conference. It's fun to get everybody together. It's sort of like a big reunion in a lot of ways. Um, But this year we focused on racial equity, which is... um, one of the things we like to do with the conference every year is is find the next new cutting-edge thing. So um, now, I guess, five or six years ago, for example, we held some of the very first conversations about fossil fuel divestment. And listeners probably know, you know, that's that's grown into a multi-trillion dollar um, initiative now. It's I think there's seven or eight trillion dollars committed for divestment globally. So this year, we focused on racial equity, which is, you know, kind of a new, not cutting edge in the social world, but definitely in the financial world. And we did a whole track around that. And it was standing room only. And um, and everyone really, really appreciated the content and the quality of the conversation. We actually even had Angela Glover keynote from Policy Link. Yeah. She's amazing. And she actually suggested, you know, are we gonna are we going to talk about divestment if we need to when it when it comes to, you know, creating racial equity. So that was um, so people were sort of buzzing about that. You know, is it is it an engagement strategy? Is it a divestment strategy? What actually needs to change? It was it was very very interesting. What are some of the key topics that sort of bubbled up, or maybe you programmed first and foremost, or bubbled up through the conversation on issues around race um, and philanthropy and investment? 
Well, um, you know, I think one of the biggest issues is just, um, well, let me back up for a second. So we worked with a consultant for the past year to interview managers of color to hear about what their experiences have been working in the investment industry. And a lot of those interviews were anonymous. And again, a lot of what we do is around creating safety so that we can talk about these issues. And, you know, the findings are not that surprising, less than 1% of all people serving on investment committees and philanthropy are people of color. I mean, the statistics are are even more appalling than they are for for women. Um, You know, uh, 80% of foundation boards are uh, white with no people of color on them whatsoever. And yet these are organizations that, you know, um, are designed to help communities, and yet they're not quite helping communities. and um, and then in terms of managers themselves, what we heard most, I think that was the most shocking to me, was just people don't feel safe to show up um, as people of color, as people that have expertise coming out of communities um, to inform the investment decision-making process. Rather, they feel that they need to step back and try to be these sort of object, truly truly objectives with not bringing any of their experience um, into the process, um, even at times when they're being asked to look at diversely owned companies or funds. So, um, so there's just there was just a lot in the whole um, in in the interview process that we heard and we learned about people's personal experience and how hard it is, and also just that you know that they might be expected to go win business and that the odds are just so much higher uh, against them. For attracting new clients because of racial issues. And, it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm making a huge assumption. So just putting that out there, and we all know what happens when one assumes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you if, if one could potentially imagine your membership base, and having this type of conversation, there has to be, you know, talk talks about privilege, and, you know, their, their backgrounds and, and what that means. So, um, I'm, I'm sure that that is a delicate balance in how you program the conference, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So this is super interesting. I mean, are there any sort of action items coming from the conference? Or, you know, are you hearing from members like we've got to do something? How do we coordinate? What's sort of the next step, you know, following the conference? Well, I think one of the things I made a commitment to publicly there was to say that Hearing how hard it is for, let's say, venture capital, uh, venture capital managers, or private equity managers, or even just people working in the ESG space, to win business, to get meetings, all of that. Um, I think in philanthropy, we need to be really committed to building the leadership and the opportunities for people of color. Um, so philanthropy does this funny thing where we like to create our own initiatives for whatever reason. And we've already begun to see a little of that going on in this space around racial equity stuff. And I think that, you know, what we heard is that there's managers out there that are amazing financial managers because they have to work so much harder than white managers just to even get a meeting. I mean, they're really, really capable, talented, skilled. Their, their numbers are outperforming. Let's commit to taking meetings with them. Let's commit to um, hearing their views on things. Let's commit to uplifting their expertise and their leadership abilities. Let's really open the door for them and, and just take the meetings. 
rather than going out as foundations and creating our own initiatives, our own funds, coming up with our own ideas in boardrooms made up of white folks, and then we go find somebody we hire to do our, you know, bespoke thing. Let's let's support the people that are already out there designing good investment products and, you know, helping build great companies and great funds. So for me, I think that's the most important thing we have to do in philanthropy is, um, is, is give people a chance. And how'd that go over with the membership? Uh, people loved it. You know, people, people really feel like, um, you know, there was a lot of conversation um, at the conference this year about sharing and making space. And um, Stephen Hines, who's the president of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, we did, we did an interview with him recently with Naomi Klein, and we talked about the, st- the status of democracy and capitalism. And he said, you know, a new economy has to be based on sharing and caring. And, um, and I know that the board of directors at Confluence feels the same way. And so, you know, in our world, sharing means taking meetings and listening and, you know, doing good due diligence, not, not making bad investments, but at least take the meeting and definitely look to diversify these investment committees. And don't do it with just one person mm-hmm. so that you can say, oh, we have one woman on this board or, oh, look, we have one person of color. But, you know, truly embrace diversity and then watch how much better your money performs, watch how much interesting everything becomes and, you know, practice sharing and caring by by opening up these institutions and not making them such closeted you know, places of influence. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and we're speaking with Dana Lanza, the CEO and co-founder of Confluence Philanthropy. And Dana, um, one thing I was I was looking at, um, it, there was like a, an article that recapped a couple of key takeaways from the, the conference on, on these issues, and it was fascinating to hear that there was a speaker that talked about her experience working in finance and how she may not have in, like intentionally interacted with other people of color because um, she thought you know, that would be perceived as scary to other people in the firm. Um, and so just thinking about, you know, yes, we can invest in this way, but also like how culture change, culture change, yeah. even within the firms can happen. And I don't know if you if you were able to see that presentation, but that struck me when I was reading the recap. Um, I didn't. Uh, sadly, at the conference, I'm running around. Exactly. With things like that. I always joke. But but I'm I'm familiar with that because we heard that we did a two day retreat with about 20 asset managers and foundation presidents, and um, and I was I was really fortunate um, to be there and to be able to just listen for two days, and we heard not one story like that. We heard many stories like that, mm. and um, and yet I think what's really hard for culture around culture change. Is um, is both all the unseen biases that we have when we make decisions around hiring um, or how to manage money, and I think there's lots of research and talk about that in the progressive community. It it doesn't make it easier to change. Um, people are trying are working on that. But then the other thing is that occurs to me in the investment world is just there's what the time it's going to take for structural change to just change out staffing. Um, and, and so one of the things, um, I always try to remind people is that impact investing is always about organizational change. So, so Confluence is just about 10 years old now. We were, uh, as I said earlier, we formed in 2008 coming out of the beginning of the economic changes that began then. And so often I've met investors or foundations 
um, or even even new managers that are are really frustrated because the money isn't moving as quickly as they wanted or they thought it would be easier to win clients or why aren't all these other you know, foundations just jumping on board and, and, and being more responsible with how their capital is managed. But it's because it, it's going to take a lot of organizational change to do all of this. Um, it requires people leaving their jobs and then making different decisions when you rehire those positions. And for Confluence members, it's also meant actually ending a lot of relationships with investment advisory firms that don't want to change the way they do business. And then finding new ones and taking risks and investing in new firms um, that are just getting started. So around the racial equity thing, unfortunately, it will be the same thing um, unless, as I said a moment ago, we make it our mission to go out and find managers of color and take those meetings or entrepreneurs of color and take those meetings. Um, that if we, if we wait and we try to build the world ourselves, it's going to take much longer than if we just open up to a world that already exists that we don't even know about. Yeah, and the point is interesting that if you change your advisor, that's really putting your your money where your mouth is in many ways. It's really sort of saying, this matters to us, and if it doesn't matter to you, well, we're not going to stay with you. And I think that that's the kind of thing that a lot of advisors um, are starting to see a little bit. I think especially the big the big banks and the big mm-hmm. financial services firms are, are seeing, like, people are going to move their money, and yeah. that's not what we want. Right. Yeah, well, we've seen we've seen a huge change like that happen um, from Confluence members, um, you know, who have especially the early members. Um, a lot of them left their you know legacy relationships with some firms, you know, that their family might have had um, to go find managers that were more in alignment with their values, and that that began the beginning of what what I think is a seismic shift, actually, um, that has made you know. Uh, certainly ESG, um, and now you're seeing other kinds of impact um, of interest to, to bigger entities. The question is, are, are they going to impact WASH? Or are they sincerely going to do something? So that's what we're all right, sort that's of the, waiting yep. to find out. Yep. Yeah. And Cheryl, I'm actually struck uh, by this conversation, and I'm reminded about a group here in Philadelphia that we've been collaborating with a little bit, um, FIS Investments, uh-huh. which I think is an asset manager run by a woman of run color. Run by a woman of color. Um, and they, you know, they've been developing this technology tool. This isn't intended to be a plug, but I'm just really interested. Like, they've been developing this technology tool called April, and they are um, – I mean, the intention is so that they can try to assess and, and remove that unconscious bias right. when they're assessing man- potential managers. Yep. Um, and so, Dana, I'm sort of curious uh, how you all see not just the firms themselves behaving organizationally, but are you seeing technology plays that are trying to do a better job of this, too? Um, well, specifically, uh, again, on the racial equity stuff, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so. I, I, I honestly, to be perfectly honest, I would say for confluence members, I see it more as a more as relational change and not technology technologically based. There's been some some discussion of like robo advisors and new platforms and things like that and how that could potentially democratize finance. And we, we talked more about that at our conference last year. Um, but there's fear about bias being programmed into such platforms around mm-hmm. racial issues, right? Yeah. So um so I think the jury's still out on that. And to be honest, I, I had thought that um, you know, uh, high net progressive investors would be farther along on some of this stuff than they are, but 
they're not there yet. And, um, and I think, I think just knowing, you know, the culture of this community as well as I do that, that some of that is again, back to these issues of, of safety and trust and that, you know, things are very relational and, um, these investors, you know, whatever you think about it, um, they have a privilege. They don't have to go with um, commercial products in the way retail investors do. Mm-hmm. So they can say, you know, I really care about whatever, and they can literally go create the investment product that they want or have people do it for them, and that all has to happen through through relations, relationships. So while there's interest in investing in technology, I personally wouldn't say that I hear a lot of chatter about um, technology informing uh, decisions the way you see other kinds of platforms for retail investors, if that's what you meant. I, I think so, yeah. So racial equity was one of the, the themes that you had structured for the conference. What, what, else, uh, what, what else was the buzz that you were hearing? What other things were people talking about and or excited about? Um, well, there's always been uh, there's been a longstanding interest, obviously, um, in uh, uh, gender lens investing, mm-hmm. gender equity, um, and then also we've had a climate track for years. So we talk about climate change every every conference. As I mentioned, the fossil fuel divestment has been a big theme at Confluence, but also how to drive um, investment in conservation, how to drive investment in um, in clean tech, um, and all of that sort of stuff that uh, uh, helps to address the climate crisis. So I would say those were the top, you know, the three main areas of interest this year. And and so, Dana, one thing I wanted to draw draw out from some of the Confluence work is, you know, you mentioned sort of action items from the conference that, you know, people are trying to commit to having those conversations mm-hmm. and build those relationships. What else does Confluence do to bring members together? Do you talk about product development or platforms that that people can go in on um, around specific topic areas? We mostly talk about, um, I think, what you know, the main interest that folks have in coming to Confluence is to meet other like-minded investors. Um, and they, we talk about the work we do as movement building because – um, as crazy as it may sound, <laughs> you know, we see impact investing as a movement. And we really believe that this movement could grow to actually reshape capitalism and to reshape the economy. And so, again, we're not looking so much transaction by transaction, although, of course, people are sharing deals and they're talking about what they're invested in together. But there's a lot more energy around talking about the potential of this and why we do this. So, when we talk about something like gender lens investing or we talk about something like racial equity, how if we had more women on boards, more women in leadership, more women leading companies, how decisions would be taken differently and how that might make uh, the world a different place and make capitalism a different, create a different form of capitalism. And the same to be said um, for racial equity. Just because we have people of color in the driver's seat doesn't mean we're going to, you know, abolish poverty as, as much as we wish it, we had the solution that easily. You at least increase the chances of bringing some kind of insight into the conversation that is clearly lacking or perhaps even just a personal commitment. So for this group of investors, it's about making a commitment to deploy capital in a certain way that requires risk and that re- 
requires innovation and ingenuity. And it's, um, you know, they don't have to do it, right? I mean, that's the thing about high net folks, right? They don't have to be thinking about how to align their uh, their values with their money. And there's a whole economy incentivized to prevent them from doing that. So if there aren't spaces like Confluence and others where they can show up with managers and learn together, then it can't happen. And so this is really a change happening in, you know, the biggest investment banks, the tiniest little uh, bespoke investment firms in the most powerful families in the, in the world. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a change that's happening because people, because change agents are pushing it. And so um, and so that's what happens at Confluence, those kinds of conversations. And so a lot Dana, of it happens in hallways. <laughs> I would imagine. So, Dana, we're, we're coming to the end of the segment, but one of the questions, and, and it, this goes to the points you were just talking about before. I mean, at, at Wharton Social Impact Initiative, part of our job is to sort of figure out how we catalyze the movement of investment capital, you know, and figure out mm-hmm. either through academic research, projects with students, working directly with investors, et cetera. So as you think about the the inhibitors to doing more mission related and program related investments what what's what is the kind of trigger that needs to be fixed in order to make to make more of this happen more easily Yeah well that that's probably the main thing we try to figure out especially on the climate issue because we're you know as we all know we're running out of time right yeah. 11 years left now <laughs> We just had Jeremy Grantham oh. on this morning uh talking about climate change and and the timeline and some of the the dire statistics Yeah I saw Jeremy speak at the um Global Action Summit it was I, I don't think I slept that night <laughs> <Right>. Exactly <laughs> That's that's yeah. yep So I mean that's really it right is is what I think is the biggest inhibitor, especially on the climate issue, is I like to say people are feels like they're sort of timing the market in the sense that everyone knows we have to change um, and transition to this clean energy economy. But who wants to be the risky investor to start mm-hmm. doing it first? Mm-hmm. And and it's not just clean tech, right? So for a long time we just talked about oh, everybody. We need you know venture capitalists left the building. Who's going to step up and be these risk taking investors? But it's everything. It's everything. It's oceans. It's conservation. It's, you know, you name it. It's everything. And so we know we need to make this change, but nobody wants to go first or very few people want to go first. And so I think, you know, what we're talk, what we talk a lot about in Confluence is, is taking risk. And then what is the greater risk? Is the greater risk not making these changes mm-hmm. and, and, and waiting to let someone else go first? Or is the risk... Um, actually being the change. Um, and so so I think that's probably, I would say, the greatest inhibitor. And then the second factor, which we've heard about for years and we began this today's conversation with, is is social norms. So being the, the first person in your family or in the investment committee that says, well, wait a minute, you know, what about what about those managers we never talked to? Why do we always talk to the same group of people? Can we get some new people in here? Um, taking the social risk to break through that barrier and allowing opportunity for others who might not be part of your social network. That's, that's the change that needs to happen. Yeah. 
And so, Dana, um, I think my last question for you as we wrap up our segment um, is is sort of around, you know, bringing our listeners into the conversation, too. And, you know, I, I'm re- reminded that Jeremy is a billionaire. <laughs> we talked right. to the Bridgeband Group, um, which, you know, their clientele are, you know, some of the biggest foundations and nonprofits in the world. And, you know, your network and members are, you know, high net worth individuals. And I think, you know, the organizations that and people that we've had on the show, I think Wharton is in a unique position, like with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. or, you know, brand power at least. And and so I do think we all have a pl- role to play in sort of moving the systems and we, we have a, a responsibility probably to do so given our position. But like mm-hmm. for for me, like I'm I'm at Wharton, but I'm not a high net worth individual. You know, what ty- what types of things can we do to be part of this conversation and and move the needle? Um, well, I'm a retail investor as well. And one thing I did when I started Confluence again 10 years ago was I just made a personal commitment to um, try to align my own uh, values with whatever money I have and had at the time. So for us, it you know, if you have retirement accounts, um, it looks like starting there. And luckily, it's getting easier um, and, um, and telling others about it. Um, and pushing, um, you know, trying to push this world, especially if you're a Wharton student or a Wharton alum, you know, to create more resources and um, opportunities for retail investors to also align their money with their values. I think one of the biggest hypocrisies right now in impact investing, and, and we had Anand Giridatas and Edgar Villanueva speak at the conference in, in discussion with one another, one of the biggest hypocrisies is that, you know, impact investing still is the domain of, of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a privilege to be able to sit around and ask yourself these questions, whereas most people are just trying to figure out how to save a dollar, not, oh, I have so many opportunities. What do I want to do with my dollars? Right. Um, and so those of us that are in any kind of position of influence, again, need to um, build the other side of the economy, democratize the economy by creating more opportunities and ways for just, you know, folks living on Main Street to figure out how to also align their their money and their values. And they certainly want to. Right. So um, but there's you know, there's not a lot of um, even if you go on the Internet, it's hard to even find resources you'll discover. So if you have influence, if you have friends in the investment industry, they're looking to start new product projects or blogs or whatever, you know, anything you can do to help educate the general public around this kind of stuff is a big contribution. We can do that. Yes. That yeah, sounds like a, doing it. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like a good charge. So, Dana, I, that's a great way to end our segment. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Dana Lanza, CEO and co-founder of Confluence Philanthropy. Stick with us. We're not having our open segment. It's jam-packed. We've got a fourth guest. We'll be speaking with Professor of Management Tyler Rye from here at the Wharton School. Stick with us. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.